Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. In May, the FDA approved arenamab, the first calcitonin gene-related peptide inhibitor for the prevention of migraine in adults. Since then, two other CGRP inhibitors have gained approval, providing a new class of drugs for those who suffer from migraine. This fall, the American Journal of Managed Care convened a panel of experts on migraine to discuss the emerging therapy for the condition, which affects 39 million people in the United States. Migraine is a prevalent neurological disease affecting 39 million men, women, and children in the United States. And here's an astounding number, 1 billion people worldwide. Migraine is the third most common illness in the world, with approximately 12% of the population suffering from migraines. Migraine, defined as a painful neurological disease with extremely incapacitating neurological symptoms, lasting 4 to 72 hours, is much more than a headache. Over 90% of migraine sufferers are unable to work or function normally during an attack. Recently, there have been some exciting advances in the diagnosis and treatment of migraine. AJMC Peer Exchange with our panel of experts is going to discuss the optimal management of migraine, including the role for newer, more specific therapeutic options. Stay with us. I'm Dr. Peter Salgo. I'm a professor of medicine and anesthesiology at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons and associate director of surgical intensive care at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Joining our dis- distinguished panel to share their perspectives are Ms. Jill Glynn, a registered nurse and certified health education specialist and patient advocate. Dr. Peter Goatsby, director of the NIHR Welcome Trust King's Clinical Research Facility and professor of neurology at King's College London and University of California, San Francisco. And Dr. Malika Stoll, Senior Medical Director at Blue Shield of California. All of you, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't we just dive right in? I I think we ought to get going by defining some terms. What is a migraine? A migraine is episodic disease of the brain that involves dysfunction fundamentally in sensory pathways. So it involves pain, It involves sensitivity to light, sensitivity to sound. For two-thirds of patients, sensitivity to light, to to just touching the head. Migraine is a pan-sensory disturbance, if I could put it that way. Sounds dreadful. It is dreadful. And just for the sake of completeness, how does a visual migraine differ from that? Just visual disturbances without the other uh, epiphenomena? About 25% of migraine sufferers have aura, visual, it's typically visual, 90% of it is visual aura, and that usually involves little jagged white lines that start in, the, start in one part of the vision and then will expand, leaving a loss behind it, a so-called scotoma or a black spot, and then over about 30 to 60 minutes, completely dissipate, and that's the typical visual aura. All right. I want to, we've, been, we've been talking about novel agents, and we promised to get to novel agents. Why don't we do that? Um, There are some newly approved classes of agents out there, human monoclonal antibodies, MAB treatments, to block the calcitonin gene-related peptide, CGRP. Now that you've made everybody nervous, what is their mechanism of action, uh, and how do they target migraines? Who wants to start us on that? 
Well, they block CGRP. <laughs> you know, uh, it, I, I, I mean, one of the things... What is CGRP? Yeah, Let's start so, with them, the basics. What yeah. is CGRP? One of the great things about these new therapies is we've spent the last... I've spent my entire professional career explaining to patients that, it, that they have migraine, they need a preventive, and I'm going to give them a blood pressure drug and then explaining why they shouldn't worry about that. Or I'm going to give an anti-epileptic drug, but they don't have epilepsy. Or I'm going to give them a, 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 an antidepressant, but they don't have depression. These are the first drugs that are being designed for migraine and it's kind of nice. The shortness of the conversation is almost, um, it, it belays, it's what it says on the jar. So they're migraine preventives to prevent migraine and they're anti-CGRP and that's what they block. So CGRP, calcitonin gene related peptide, is a 37 amino acid, it's a small polypeptide that's involved in the migraine process, it's involved in the pain and the other sensory symptoms. And the, the monoclonal antibodies either block it by mopping it up, binding to CGRP, three of them, or one of them blocks uh, the receptor where the CGRP acts. So they block the pathway. They right. do what they say on the jar. <laughs> or on the vial. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, on the vial. Um, but let's get to, uh, before we go on to these drugs, uh, I want to I drill a little bit more on CGRP. What is CGRP actually doing that's causing pain? Uh, well, CGRP is the key transmitter in the, uh, for, not for everybody, um, but for a, a, a decent proportion of patients, it's the key transmitter in this trigeminovascular pain pathway that's active during migraine. Okay, how does it work? What, what, is, what is it doing to the, the nerves or the vessels or the, the yeah. tissue that hurts? Yeah, so it, it's, it's not a vessel thing because um, the, the CGRP blockers, there's several reasons for saying this, don't constrict blood vessels, they block, the CGRP effect is blocked either by mopping it up or at the receptor. It's the transmitter that turns on this pathway, so basically just turns the, turns the switch off. So if you will, whatever the cascade is, mm -hmm. and it may not be well elucidated, whatever that cascade is, CGRP is the key. Key part of it, yeah. It turns on this, we'll leave it ill-defined, Migraine, migraine pathway. The migraine uh -huh. pathway. That's right. Is there a difference then in efficacy? Because you, you alluded to, to the fact that there's two different kinds of drugs. One blocks the, the antibody and one blocks the receptor, yeah. all right? Um, one targets the ligand, one the receptor. Is there a difference in efficacy? Is there, clearly there's a difference in action mechanism. Does it make a difference at all in terms of effect? Not any difference I can see at all in any of the clinical trials. Okay, so got these two studies, uh, STRIVE and ARISE. Uh, what are they? How were they done? Uh, what were they designed to find? What did they find? So Strive and Arise are ran, uh, randomized placebo-controlled trials, parallel group studies of the uh, CGRP canonical receptor uh, antibody called uh, Renumab. Um, Arise is a three-month study, in, both done without an episodic migraine. Uh, Arise was a three-month study, so what happens is patients were screened, they had a month baseline, then they were treated for three months, and the and what was looked at as the primary endpoint was reduction in migraine uh, days. In STRIVE, um, again, there was screen, month baseline, and a six-month um, uh, placebo-controlled um, trial in episodic uh, migraine. Both of them came to more or less the same result. So about tw um, a 25 to 30% to of patients have 
um, a 50% response rate on placebo. About 40% of patients, 43% of patients have 50% response on 70 milligrams and about 50% of patients will have a 50% response on 140 milligrams. When you look at the more detailed endpoints, about a, th a third of patients have a 75% response and about 15% will have a 100% response uh, on the 140 milligram dose. Now this was paralleled by a reduction in um, acute migraine uh, treatment use, so basically triptan use was reduced because obviously they're having less attacks, and uh, an improvement in function. Um, what was developed was some um, migraine specific um, assessments of disability and function and they all, uh, they all improved. An important part of the results of both studies, and it's true across the development program, is they're very well tolerated. So the, the commonest side effect uh, in both studies was some um, irritation at the injection site. Uh, a small percentage of um, patients, 3% uh, in the active and 1% in the uh, placebo had some constipation and a few percent, 2% have um, this sort of nasal, nasal uh, symptomatology. The, so two large studies, phase three, well-powered, both positive, effective and well-tolerated medicine. Is there another trial out there? A, I hesitate to say a chronic trial? Yes. Um, so strive and arrives for studies in episodic migraine, four to 14 days per month. There's a chronic uh, migraine trial uh, that was published in, in Lancet uh, Neurology um, that was studying cr uh, chronic migraine, again, a one-month baseline and a three-month uh, treatment with a reduction in, uh, in migraine days, again, at around the 40% level for 50% um, of patients. As with uh, strive and arise, uh, no other adverse events, well-tolerated um, reduction in uh, the, a reduction in migraine-specific treatments and uh, improvement in uh, in disability. So the the trial program altogether will demonstrate that um, these medicines, well, arenumab specifically, we're talking about, is effective in episodic and chronic migraine. So. Um Dosing safety issues here, 70 milligrams, 140 milligrams. Uh, how do you do that? How do you determine the need? How do you work that? Well, um, the, uh, the regulatory guidance is that 70 milligrams is the dose, and for some patients, 140 milligrams will be useful. If you look at the clinical trials, about four out of five patients who are going to respond to arenumab will respond to 70 milligrams. Um, if you're a person who starts low, then you'll start at 70. If you're a person who likes to jump in the water and get wet, you might start, in a, start at 140. Personally, I think it's reasonable to start at 70 milligrams and, and, and move forward from there. These are parenterals? Uh, they're subcutaneous injection, monthly. Monthly, so if you only have to get, it occurs to me that there's two possible outcomes for monthly injections. One is, great, I only need one injection a month. Yes. The other is, oops, I forgot my monthly injection because it's so infrequent. Uh, what's your experience with this? Um, how does it affect compliance? Well, the beauty of this is that the, the, these medicines is the effect is reasonably quick. Um, so if you happen, if you forget your injection, the headaches will come back and you take your injection and they'll settle down pretty quickly again. Um, most patients, I, I so far, I don't, so I don't think that's a, that's a huge problem because the effect comes on pretty quickly. And they're so well tolerated that it's business. You don't have to 
gradually approach the, the, the dose because they don't have cognitive problems, they don't have weight gain problems, you don't have hair loss, um, you don't have any of the problems we've been talking about. So the, the, it's relatively easy, to, easy medicine to start and stop. And then what, it comes in either auto-injectors or pre-filled syringes? Yeah, auto-injectors. Is, is there a difference? I mean, does it make a difference? Oh, I think people prefer auto-injectors. I don't think most people like injecting themselves, but I mean... The, the problem I'm with the auto-injector yeah. is that it contains latex. So people who have oh. a latex allergy appreciate having the other uh, option available. Can I, can I ask the pharmaceutical industry why? <laughs> why would there be latex in an auto-injector? There's got to be a technical reason, right? I would guess. I mean, we're trying to make the entire healthcare delivery system latex-free. Mm -hmm. So maybe... Some people will require the pre-filled syringes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just easier uh, to administer the, the pre-filled, um, the, the auto-injector is easier to administer. Which patients, which patients now are candidates for treatment with the anti-CGRP antibodies? Well, insurance companies um, help, help decide that. Um, for some insurance companies, they require um, a minimum of four uh, headache days or migraine days per month. And then having failed uh, three or more um, preventives plus uh, use of triptans. Okay. So is that because these drugs are ruinously expensive? They're pretty expensive, but I participated in the Institute for Clinical Review hearing, and uh, the people associated with ICER were pretty, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised, but they were surprised that the uh, price point of the drug came in as low as it did. All right, let's, let's stop dancing around this thing. Mm -hmm. How much do they cost? It's uh, 570 uh, an injection. $570 an injection. I will not trust my math again. But <laughs> 570 times 10 would be $5,700 a year. Add another couple. We're not talking about some of these, the newer biologics, which are hundreds of thousands no. a year. I think that's why they were surprised. Yeah. I'm that, surprised. Yeah. And similar to Botox. It's similar to Botox, uh, which we've already discussed. So. Are you reserving this treatment now for patients who fail other preventive cares, or can we start these drugs because they work on treatment-naive patients? Why not just jump in, as you said, the deep end of the pool? Well, I didn't advocate jumping in the deep end of the pool. I, I offered it as an option. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to have some, um, what you call step is to have had some um, reasonable exposure to simple preventives to make it easier for people who don't respond to simple preventives to get these new medicines easier. I think there's a, there's a collaborative way of thinking about this. So but personally, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with having um, step edits um, and, then, and then having this, uh, this medicine available. Mm -hmm. right. right, because sometimes Topamax works yes. beautifully for works people well. or, or a beta blocker. Or, right. And there's right. a benefit for the patient yes. too of not having to come in for that injection yes. if they can monitor, mm -hmm. manage it themselves. What, what are the side effects of the anti-CGRP antibodies? Are there any? Yeah, what is the downside? Very minor. Um, constipation, rhinitis, um, injection site pain. But I mean, nothing to Nothing. Write home about, really. No, no. Unless there's it's because it's because it's such a large molecule. There's no liver toxicity uh, issue with the drug. So we're not talking about a downside here for patient toxicity. No. So all that we're really talking about in terms of 
starting with one of these drugs as opposed to something else is cost, mm -hmm. right? And if you can get away with something that's efficacious and cheaper, why not, mm -hmm. right? So, but there should be, if that's the only issue, there should be a rapid potential for right. escalation, right. is there? Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's where I get back to the patient-physician relationship, because what you don't want is somebody who fails one or two mm -hmm. and then goes away and just lives with this. So you want them to be educated on what the options are. You want someone kind of walking them through what the various options are from the provider side. And as a health plan, we have that responsibility, too, mm -hmm. to educate. Is this class of drugs more geared for patients with episodic migraines or for chronic migraines? Neither. It's, where it's, it's aimed at disabling migraine. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've got um, the, the, the line between episodic and chronic migraine is entirely artificial and is half of 30. That's the way the committee decided. I can tell you I was on the committee at the time when the decision was taken. So the, the idea that 14 days or 13 days a month is not horribly disabling is, is silly. Um, it seems to me that the question really for these medicines is who's disabled? This chronic episodic thing, I put the discussion down altogether. It's who's disabled and what have they had? And if they've had very reasonable exposures, and let's, let's talk about what the step edit should be, let, that's, a that's a discussion to have, then putting a line at 15, is, I, I really don't see a great arg logic in that, I have to say. So I, I think it's for people who are disabled who failed previous preventives. I'm, I'm getting a whiff of this. Let mm -hmm. me just, let's put this on the table. Are there people sitting in a basement with a green eye shade somewhere mm -hmm. saying, you only had 14 attacks, you can't get this? Is there someone in some company somewhere really doing there that? There is not in my health plan. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the prior auth process, I think, gets um, a bad rap because, because of its onerous and the paperwork. But in fact, what is good about it is you actually have an educated human, a, a, a specialist who, who knows something about the topic, reading through the clinical notes and helping to make the right decision. So there is a human at the end of it and that's the good point. I would like to add that there are some insurance plans, um, uh, Blue Cross, uh, Blue Shield subsidiaries in uh, Florida, Pennsylvania and Kansas uh, who are requiring that patients before they get this drug that it be prescribed by a UCNS certified physician. There are only 520 I believe UCNS headache specialist, certified headache specialist in the U.S. There are, as you mentioned, are millions of uh, people with migraine. So, um, and on top of this, in Kansas, there are no UCNS certified physicians. So um, I think insurance companies run the risk of creating care deserts by doing this. I see a headache specialist and I can tell you that he's on fluid restrictions during the day because he doesn't have time to take a break because he is really, really busy. And most headache specialists I know say uh, uh, are the same. I'm going to dismiss this image of fluid restriction because you can't take a break from my mind. Okay. You know, I, I can't unthink it, I'm afraid, but that's terrible. Well, I'm a nurse, so but you know, are you, I go there. <laughs> are you ascribing, and I'll just put you on the, on the hook here, are you ascribing to these folks some nefarious motive? We're going we, we're gonna to put a, a, a clamp on the pipeline by restricting the number of prescribers. Yes. Okay. I am. So, your plan may not do that. <laughs> no. But other plans out there are. What do you think of your colleagues? <laughs> From what it sounds like, that sounds like um, an unreasonable uh, barrier to care, actually, given the access issues that you've described. And I do think that 
where, where I live as well, um, there are access issues that I do think are gonna create barriers for patients. And even, even like I said, access to primary care, but access to specialty care for sure. I mean, even though we have plenty in California, it's not always easy to get in, mm -hmm. you know? And so people are having to wait. And that is a real problem, I think, um, for all of us to help solve. It's not something that one person can do, but certainly those types of restrictions that say only this person can prescribe it, you know, we're not bending on that. That, that seems a little bit um, restrictive. Yes. All right, let me play devil's advocate. I like doing that. Yes. Now I'll switch hats. All right, I'll put on a green eye shade. No, maybe not. I'll put on my green eye shade, those little things that go on your arm, you know, when you look through paper, and say, unless we do that, we're gonna bankrupt America. Everybody's got a, a new biologic they want for their disease. I have a response to that. Oh, please, let me hear it. Yes, having migraine disease is expensive. It's expensive for insurers, but it's also expensive for people who suffer from the disease. Uh, people, there are the direct costs that come with having migraine, but there are many, many indirect costs, such as um, having to work part-time because you can't work full-time, um, having to uh, quit your job, go on disability, um, not having uh, the uh, capacity to care for yourself at home, having to hire people to cook your meals and, and uh, do your housework. It's um, the, and the expense of the medications. All right, let so. me be my little green eye shade. I'm, this is this analogy is getting a little old, but I'll come back at you and say, not my silo. No. My not. silo is this healthcare plan has this many dollars, mm -hmm. and I can allocate it this way. Mm -hmm. Society has other issues, mm -hmm. but it's not my silo. Mm -hmm. Nobody is paying me more because society is losing money on migraine. How do you fix that, patient advocate? You have the person spend a day with the person having a migraine. Good luck on that. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it's disabling. I hear you. Mm -hmm. But again, if, as long as it doesn't impact my budget, Right. Well, I'll jump in. Oh, yes. I'll help you out here. Thank you. So, um, so you know, as, up a, on me. <laughs> as I mean, as a plan, we of course partner with employers because I mean, folks who have migraines are, are tend to be in the productive years of life, right? Yes. And so it's a big issue for employers, missed yes. days, and exactly. we are selling our product to employers who need coverage for their employees. So that's exactly the kind of thing where we can come together, I think, and, and talk about this. And we do actually to say, hey, you know, we. Y on the employee, employer side, how can you, you know, help take care of your employees so they don't have this? How can, how can we work together? You know, how can we make this easier? The dominant demographic of migraine is from the age of 20 to 60. Mm -hmm. They're the people who are working and paying your little man with the green thing his uh, income. Could They're, be that, a woman. That's, well, Could be a woman with a green thing. I thought that I there took you are. to be a man at the time. Well, but yeah. it, nevertheless, it's the dominant de dem demographic. It's the pe people who are active in the plan. Of course, the other thing to say is that attending an emergency room with migraine is an appalling waste of resources. It's bad for the patient. Uh, it's bad medicine from my perspective when I see it happen to my patients. And it doesn't help um, the bottom line either because tests get done. People come in with a horrible headache, they have a bit of neck stiffness. So they get all of the tests done again and again and again. Total waste get, of resources. They all get CTs, don't yes, they? Yes, exactly. Or MRIs. Or MRIs. Or MRIs. Yep. To learn more about CGRP inhibitors for the treatment of migraine, visit ajmc.com or see the show notes. And you can get in touch with us by emailing info at ajmc.com or following us on Twitter at ajmc underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, 
Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.